Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is creating the future of logistics with my friend, Jeff D'Angelo. How's it going, Jeff? It's awesome. Thanks for having me, Joe. I'm always excited to have you on my podcast, Jeff, because uh, Jeff has done some wonderful things. He's still a young man, but he's done some wonderful things in this business. And we'll talk about those in a minute. But Jeff, first and foremost, introduce yourself and your company, where you're calling from today. Yeah, uh, Jeff D'Angelo, been in logistics and tech for 21 years. So I'm starting to Get some grays here on the old beard. You know, I started uh, out of school with a company, a little small company called TQL. That company was oh, about yeah. 30 employees. Now it's, what, 8 billion? Oh, was it 30 back when you joined? Yeah, it was about 30 employees. I was like the 30th Wait a sec, So we, you're down in Cincinnati, right? Yeah, I'm in Cincinnati. Okay. So that's where that's where TQL's at. So, yeah, so TQL was started by two, two guys. Actually, there was a third guy. Funny story. We can do this offline tell you about the third guy, but... Two guys. Uh, one is now the richest man in, in Ohio, Ken Oaks, and then Ryan Legg, who's the second guy who um, I helped him start and found Megacorp Logistics. They're a billion-dollar company. Um, and so I've been a part of some really cool stuff. I was a founder of Turbo, which is the only network sort of platform in our space, sort of designed and built like a Facebook product for, for logistics. And then now I'm doing another really cool thing with a company called Fura, I would say we are Spell that uh, for us. a startup, F-U-R-A, Fura. So it's a bunch of entrepreneurs, technology folks from companies like Amazon and Uber, E-N-Y, et cetera, that got together to say, logistics is broken. You, you know you know me, Joe. I'm always like, logistics is broken. Logistics how do we fix it, right? Yep. Logistics <laughs> is broken. How do we fix it? And you have all these logistics companies that are very traditional that probably won't be here in the next 10 or 20 years because they, even though they have great relationships, maybe they don't have the, the money or the, the, the vision or the technology chops to go build the technology or buy and implement the technology the right way or evolve. Like think of the stock market. You and I talk about this all the time of how the stock market's evolved over time. But yeah, from those stock brokers to financial planners and so many people doing everything themselves now online with that's right. That's right. And technology unlocked that. Charles Schwab was one of the innovators there, right? When he said, I can replace people with servers. And he did. And it's not saying right. like our business is full of, of great people and people that should be adding value and continue to add value. But there's a lot of stuff that, that a lot of people shouldn't be doing. It should be automated using tech. And so what we do is we, we actually buy up those companies. We buy up traditional companies and we roll them into our technology platform. Some of the great folks that we have from Amazon have designed amazing processes to create a ton of automation. So um, our ability to scale at much less cost than everybody else helps everybody, customers and carriers, scale their businesses. And we're doing some really cool stuff on what we're building on the technology side, like the platform we're building, as well as how we're going to market differently, both the services we provide, as well as sort of business model evolution. You know, there's some really cool business models out there that are changing using tech to do it. And and we want to be those pioneers that's doing that to help make great change in our industry. Yep. 
I, and so there's so many questions I have every time I talk to you. But one of the things you started to touch on was just this transformation we've seen in other industries. Like, so at one time, and I'm old enough to remember this, where you had stockbrokers and stockbrokers charged 300 bucks for a transaction. I remember I did it one time. 300 bucks, I think it was a $10,000 position. They charged me 300 bucks. And then to buy another one, it was like 250. And I was like, 500 bucks, just gone. Like, I, I can't afford to do this, right? I'm going to go broke working with these guys. And here, by the way, here's what they said, Jeff. We're, we're golden because we have a relationship. And by the way, those, if, if you worked with a freight broker, they had a big office, glass, glass offices, always hired big guys who played sports. They were, you know, and by the way, I'm not saying they didn't add value, but it was very much a relationship. Come on in my big office, see my big desk. And suddenly it seemed very sudden technology came in and there was always been Schwab was started in 78, but it didn't really take off. None of it really took off till the internet. And by the way, you could not get good information on stocks unless you went through a broker or a mutual fund. And then one day, the tech just overtook the relationships. And now there's, you can still get a financial planner, but they aren't taking transactions. They're looking over your entire financial picture saying, hey, Jeff, what college do you want your kids to go to? When are they going to go to college? Uh, do you want to buy a cottage? Do you want to, when do you want to retire? They're asking big questions. And I think we're going to see the same with us. We're st- people still going to move freight, but technology is going to do so much more of it. And we're still going to be there, guys. It's just we're going to change our role a little bit. Jeff Jeff knows the way. So we'll we'll get into that. So when did, when, when did Fura start? And who's, and then when, when and why did you join? So Fura started a, a couple of years ago from a few entrepreneurs that have worked together and built companies in the past. So I was doing, uh, when I left Turbo, so you know, after I founded Turbo, I was there, I don't know, six and a half years. I started to do some. And by the way, guys, Turbo is one of the best, if not the very best, uh, TMS. It is killing it, and um, they've been on my podcast many times. And um, it's 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 built on that new platform. I mean, Jeff, you can maybe you can you guys are still using it where you're at. So I, I guess you're a big fan. Obviously, you're you're the daddy. But explain why Turbo is a better system than the vast majority of what's out there. So a couple things. So I number one is I hate calling it a TMS. Um, it's, uh, a, it, it's, okay. a, it's a network. It's a network platform. Because I didn't mean just, to insult so your much. baby. It's, it's almost like it's almost like an it's an almost an ERP for logistics, right across the board from sort of end to end. But the big thing for for us and what we're using it for a little bit differently is um, we're using it for the connectivity between organizations. And so Turvo, just naturally how we designed it from the ground up was designed so that I can share and collaborate around entities. So a shipment, an order, an item, a document, et cetera, almost like Google Docs on steroids for our industry. So I could have multiple collaborators, multiple organizations, Bring and people it, on it, really that easily. can help us provide visibility, self-service sharing models, like really cool stuff that you see in the in the consumer world, like, hey, I have a box or Dropbox, like digital documents, like traditionally you didn't have that, but I can do that with Turbo. I can share it with anybody, right, that I want to. So that's the great thing about the Turbo's, sort of the underpinnings of Turbo. Well, let me add two things about Turbo that you told me before, is you said you didn't like all the silos that you saw for information. So when you started with Turbo, you said, let's get rid of those silos. And what I mean by silos, guys, is 
information silos where you have a WMS and all that information and stuck in one silo and a, a TMS on, that's in, got all, a whole bunch of information and an order system that's got information. And what you guys are looking at at Turbo is like, how do we get rid of those silos and get them all communicating quickly and easily? And uh, yeah, one other thing you connected. mentioned was the idea of, I want to be able to connect to everything quickly and easily. And I, I remember the one time you said to me, it's like LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the platform, but there's so many things that plug into LinkedIn right now. And I was like, true. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it actually started, the idea started where you have all these organizations trying to work together and no common tool set to do, to, to do it. So when I talked about LinkedIn, I was talking about, you know, if I was a person on LinkedIn, basically I'm a user of Turbo and someone else is using Turbo, then I can just work with them. It's not like if I'm on Oracle today and someone else is on Oracle, I can't just share a shipment with them. Right. But Turbo, Turbo you can. So Turbo gives us those underpinnings, but Fura builds on top. So think of like things like really cool conversational agents that can help us scale. Like, you know, conversational agent might negotiate rates with a, a driver and they have no idea that it's a conversational agent that's a bot, right? Some other They're getting so sophisticated with those. I, I get phone calls from them, and every once in a while, I'm like, "This is not bad." <laughs> I don't want to talk to yeah, you necessarily really a chatbot, but it's getting really, really sophisticated. It's really good. I mean, look at—I talk to Siri all day long, <laughs> so they—they get—they—they're getting—they're getting very good. There's some other things around data, like one of the things I hear from customers all day long is that they don't have access to data to manage logistics, like something simple as. You know, how do you know something's on time, right? And they're using word of mouth, they're using a phone call, they're using something else that's not real time, and it's not exact to say, hey, this was on time or not, and then how do you measure it? And so for us, we have wired up our entire business to be able to know every little nook and cranny from that business so that I can measure it and I can manage it. And actually, we give that service back to the customer. So when a customer says, how well am I doing in my supply chain? I can give them all this data so we can make data-driven decisions on it. And so data-driven sort of company is, I had, in order to start at Fura, like we had to be able to do these things. And I wasn't going to sort of go somewhere where we're not going to do them. And so our people that come from, you know, Amazons of the world, like our COO is incredible, like amazing down to the like, the, the data bit on how do we use data to sort of to leverage it across the ecosystem to create automation. So that that's something that we're doing way better than I think any other company that I've seen, whether it's when I was at Turbo selling Turbo or when I was at, you know, uh, other logistics companies. I think we, we, we probably do it better than anybody. Yep. One other term that I learned from working with Turbo is, I forgot who said it to me, it could have been you, said that we need to we need to have our technologies be as good as consumer grade technology and what i mean by that is we're all used to using tools like facebook or you know uh, the delivery service apps lyft uber whatever and they're so intuitive there's no like oh we, it takes a lot of training to use lyft you're like well i'm not using it if it takes a lot of training and sure. it has to have that look and the feel and the intuitiveness and the ease of use and I know we're going to have, to, you know, we're doing something a little more complicated than that, but it has to have that look and feel. Otherwise, we're not going to get people to adopt it. Yeah, I mean, adoption of technology is everything. Like, it doesn't matter how cool your your platform is. Like, it doesn't matter that you can provide the best visibility in the world if people are going to use it. 
it doesn't matter. So we, you know, part of the services that we provide at Fura are ensuring that adoption on all parties is a part of the the answer. It's not just we're we're not just going to give you a piece of technology and say see you later, right? It's not just hey we're going to execute a shipment for you. It's actually we need to get the ecosystem to adopt. It could be exception management. It could be hey we'll enable your notifications properly or we'll we'll do something to ensure that your people are engaged. And that's part of the process that we provide to add as much value as we can in the process. I love it. I love it. So today's topic is creating the future of logistics with my friend, Jeff D'Angelo. Jeff, before we hit record, we talked about three points that kind of makes kind of your your vision of how we're creating the, 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 the future of logistics. And by the way, one other thing while we're talking about it, I know you talked about early on about rolling up the industry. And I think I've heard... I heard from um, Don Salvucci Favier from Green Screens that there was 17,000 freight brokers. And then I, I was talking to uh, JD over at JW Surety Bonds, and I think he said there's 22,000 freight brokers. I think your vision is in 10, 15 years, we won't see 22,000 freight brokers. I think a lot of them popped up when there was capacity shortage, and I think some have got, gotten very specialized. But just the general service broker that's doing, you know, without a specialty, without a niche. I think there's there's a lot of those out there. And your sense is that we're not going to have 20,000 of them in 10, 15 years, right? Well, I hope we don't. <laughs> and I, and I, and, and I <laughs> don't say, say that, that in a mean way. <laughs> I, no, I say that because I feel like there's a lot of companies that don't add value. They're here for the money grab, right? Versus how do I actually solve problems for my customers like they, they're trying to maximize the number of shipments and maximize the amount of margin that they're trying to get versus how do i truly add value and this is why the the pepsi codes of the world are building their own logistics company right so that oh they i didn't know that help their oh yeah pepsico has almost a billion dollar logistics company uh pepsi logistics like that's doing not only their business but also you know third-party business within its within its four walls and Makes the sense. reason why I say I don't I don't want that many is 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 all about a value creation thing. You know, I was I was talking to a buddy of mine, a company that I used to work for that I won't say which one, I've worked for a few, but there was an assistant, assistant to a broker. There's a credit degree broker making almost two million dollars and an assist, assistant making three hundred thousand dollars by moving shipments, right? That's all they do is move shipments. And you know, I think my my view is that I don't think they're adding two point whatever million dollars in value for their customer. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think the value comes where you're trying to be strategic with that organization to say, how do I solve problems? So one problem might be, I was just on the phone with one of the largest manufacturers of, of pipe and bath bathroom, like faucets and all those kind of things. And they're into all kinds of businesses. And, you know, they're a $7 billion company and they said they have hundreds of customer service people that are just answering, answering the phone from their customers saying, where's my stuff? We have routine, routine calls that probably should be managed by tech. Or yeah, automated, right? Like why can't they answer the question themselves or why can't they see the blue dot or why can't, and that's just visibility. That's what Jet's trying to solve, obviously with, with project 44, but it's a, you know, when you go downstream to small and mid-sized companies, it's really hard to solve that problem unless you have people boots on the ground to help solve it. And then those boots can walk away. 
right? When it's just which it's just a ping. To me, that's value creation because now I don't need a hundred people in a room that are answering calls. I might need two, and it doesn't matter what I charge from a logistics perspective because I've I've saved them millions of dollars a year on everything else. And so that's where you know we're focused, like of taking you know traditional logistics companies, and when we roll them up, we are basically use leveraging their relationships to go higher, wider, and deeper with them to add as much value in their networks as we can. It's not just about rolling up transactions. It's actually about how do we leverage what's great about the relationship and actually learn more about the business to add as much value to them as we can. Right. So we might end up with, you know, how many, in a traditional freight broker, how many loads can I manage in a day, a a good broker, without an assistant? Without an assistant. So we were doing this actually calculation today because we're working on, like, how do we automate as much as we can and, and use the human to, to sort of add value. So it's all over the place. I think if you're, if you're looking at like a, like a TQL business that's doing cradle to grave, it's probably doing 20 to 30 shipments a week per person, right? Per week, right? And they're doing appointment setting, entering shipments, blah, blah, blah. But, if, but a lot of times those brokers, Joe, are working in such a transactional way and they're averaging less than 2% of their customer's business because the customer's not going to put all their eggs in one basket from a broker perspective a lot of times because the relationship's at a low level. Like, it's hard to get dedicated carriers to operate business when you don't know it's going to be there. If they're not going all the way upstream to when that order's created, like, you have no idea, like, that you can go pre-buy capacity and you can do all these really cool things so that you can do hundreds of shipments a week per person. And so I think that's that's where you got to be planful when you're building these companies to really get to, to, to create the value that needs to be created. Right. So, so your point is that person who's managed 20, 30 shipments a week, they could do 10 times that with the right technology. And I'll, let me uh, throw one more thing. You mentioned cradle to grave. So one model for managing, like say a brokerage is cradle to grave where that broker is responsible for finding making his own leads. She makes her own leads, finds that sells that business and is always looking for new customers, but at the same time is managing the current, you know, the current shipments and right through, you know, if there's billing issues, they're getting involved with it. And so that's cradle to grave. And I think there's other companies and I've heard people call it the Chicago model. I don't know if it's the Chicago model or not, but where you say, I'm going to have a dedicated headcount to do lead generation. I'm going to have another guy who just is all about taking the lead and closing it. And then I'm going to have a team that's account management or customer service, whatever you want to call it. And then I'm going to have a billing team. I'm going to have a whole bunch of specialists who work closely together and their functions are still the same. But I think you see a lot of companies now, I I don't know how this works. You tell me, I think it's better to have the, the specific specialist. And the reason I say that is if somebody should leave, right? <laughs> and you don't want to say, yeah, Jeff just left. And they go, oh, cool. What brokerage is he going to? And you go, no, no, you're working with five different people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like TQL is a cradle to grade model. The yep. Chicago model is C.H. Robinson. It was it really created by backhaulers. So uh, Jeff and Paul. Which became right? Coyote. Um, well, no. So so backhaulers was, was number one. Oh, yeah. One they got bought CH. by C.H. Robinson. They got bought by C.H. So Jeff and Paul, right, they kind of went for three years and did their own thing. Paul started 
uh, command transportation. It got bought by Echo. So you're going to interview Doug, I think, Wagoneer. And then, and Jeff went and, and Jeff he Silver. actually was going to build, yeah, Jeff Silver was going to build a tech platform, like a Turbo platform, and decided to go build Coyote, the brokerage instead. So like, he did he all right. A, he did pretty good. He did all right. He, <laughs> he did good. But yeah, so it's, so I would tell you that it's really easy to start a cradle grave model. You need one person to do it, right? It's harder to start with the segment of model, right? Like where you could create almost an assembly line of specialists, but it also over time scales better. And it scales better because I can look at each action and automate it using tech or automate a lot where customer facing things or carrier facing things become human and everything else hopefully becomes as automated as possible. So as you guys grow, are you which model are you using? So when we buy companies, obviously they're in different models. And so our platform consists of technology and automation as well as an operational model, right? And the operational model is optimizing for automation. Like how much automation can we create, but also customer experience. Like we don't want to forget that there is a, like, if you look at most tech enabled logistics companies, their focus is on how do I aggregate transactions, right? How do I get them to use the app? How do I get to use the app? There is, there's a lot of relationship that, that is important. And so we don't want to throw that away, but our model is optimizing for automation. Yeah. So you're going to meet them where they're at. So if they say, Hey, look, we really have a great relationship here and we want to keep that going and that and the customer sees value in it, you say, fine with us. We're not going to replace, we're not going to use technology where it doesn't fit. But over time, my sense is over time, more and more of us are using technology on a daily basis where you say, I, I'm used to using technology. Now I could make a phone call to order a pizza, but I just got used to the idea that I can go on the Domino's app and do it without it. Nothing yeah. wrong with recurring uh, order, recurring <laughs> order, Joe. Like, send oh, yeah, you got all those, you got all those boys week. at, you got all those boys at home. You, I bet there's a lot of pizza. The <laughs> lots there. of pizza, especially <laughs> when mom's gone. <laughs> so anyway, we wanted to talk about a few different things. So the one thing you talked about is this: the difference between relationships and tech. And again, I do believe that we're going to see just more and more. We're going to use, we're still going to have the relationships, but we're going to have, that guy's going to be able to manage two, three hundred, and some type, two or three thousand shipments a, uh, a week rather than the, the 20 or 30 is doing today. And it's going to be because we're using the proper tech and using it where it makes sense and not using it. You know, you're not going to automate certain things that don't need to be automated, but anything that can be will be. <laughs> so, Joe, let me give you a, a, an example. So, we bought a company. Uh, we're on our third acquisition right now, and the third one's going to be big. And so I'll call you'll be one of the first people I call when we get there. Right. But <laughs> one of the one of the companies we bought was averaging ten shipments per person per week. Ten. We just rolled out an outsource a full outsource managed service where it's a mix of brokerage and visibility concepts and some other technology. We have one person managing over three hundred shipments a week. And so if you think, think about how that's completely flipped, that's not just technology, even though that's the, the biggest part of it, but it's also implementing other services to add the most value and ensuring that we're a partner for a long, long time. Like we're going to create ARR out of this, not, you know, if you look at any brokerage, most of them are not. Wait, what do you mean ARR. by ARR? Annual recurring revenue. So as a tech company, you want to create ARR, which is like 
how do I know in the next three to five years, like what my revenue is going to be? If you look at a brokerage, a lot of them are following, you know, their transactional landscape of spot shipments. And that's what, you know, hey, we were 100 million this year, but maybe next year we'll try to grow, but we don't know if we will. For for us, like our job is to partner so that we understand what our our growth trajectory is going to be every week, every month, every year, based off of the deals that we do that are beyond just brokering freight. And by the way, when we're using technology like you guys are developing daily, your cost per load goes lower every single day. And that doesn't mean necessarily you're saying our price is going to go lower on everything. You're going to be competitive with the market. But when the market goes down, which it's going to, the margins go down. And I think we're going to see margin compression as more and more tech is there. The guys, I said, I used the analogy that, um, well, Warren Buffett said this. is, And this always applies to the Ponzi schemes. We just had that FTX thing blow up. When the tide goes out, you find out who's not wearing a bathing suit. And I think when the tide, if that's the margin compression, goes out, you find out, well, hey, these guys, they need they need 8% just to manage to the, cover their costs. And then you find out a tech-enabled company like yours is much lower. I don't know what you're not. I'm making these numbers up. Much lower than than the guys who's managing with a lot of headcount. So we were, it's funny, we drill this every day. And we drill it not to focus on costs because once you're just only focused on costs, you start dying from a business development perspective. But we drill it to say, how much more can we automate? And in a, in using tech, you know, not to just try to get rid of people because that's not what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is we're trying to automate so that when time, that time does happen, Joe, where let's say we need $8 trades, you know, just like the right. stock market that we're still profitable and we're still providing value to the customer. And so, um, you know, for us, it's, yeah, I looked at, <laughs> I studied this, like most brokers think of, forget age, the agent model, agent models where you might pay an agent 50% or 70% or whatever the thing is. And you're still making four or 5% at the end of the day. When you're talking about like cradle to grave models, or even if you look at CHS 10K, Companies range from, let's say, 35% of the the, uh, the revenue is their cost, 35% of the gross margin is their cost, all the way up to 55 or 60%, right? And when I look at that, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's high. Like, I can get it down sub 10, and like, and I can do that because my focus from the ground up has been technology enablement. It hasn't been, hey, I want to hire 10,000 humans in a like when I go and I see all these people on LinkedIn saying, we hired hundreds and hundreds of people. And I'm like, ah, like I love hiring great people. Don't get me wrong. I want great, amazing people that are smart and adding value. But, you know, it's got to be married with amazing tech to create to create the automation and the customer experience that the customers are requiring. Right. And I think also I've heard this as a kind of a recurring theme on my podcast as we're using technology, it's eliminating some jobs, but creating new ones. So you might have people who are looking over data and saying, you know, if we just, if you just called us on Wednesday morning rather than Thursday morning, we could save you 10%. And here's, let me show you the numbers, right? And I joke about it. We're all going to become data scientists before too long, but there's a lot of value in the data that we're, we're not currently taking advantage of. The average broker is too busy 
doing his day job. And I, I know we mentioned assistants. The guys who manage a lot and the cradle to grave end up with assistants. But I think we're all going to have to move to the higher ground. And by the way, using back to the stockbrokers, stockbrokers were transactional. And they used to churn. It was, you always hear in the newspaper, they'd get some old old lady or old man and they would just churn their account, meaning they traded, traded, traded. And it goes from 100 grand to 50 grand. And it all was eaten up in transaction costs. Now a financial planner takes 1%. So now he's aligned to you. And he's he says, hey, I want you to, I want Jeff to go from this much to a lot more than that because I get 1% every year. And I think we're going to find ourselves aligning more with these shippers and being true supply chain partners who can bring that tech from end to end, not just for two days on the truck, but <laughs> give me that end-to-end technology. Give me insights that help me get better every single day, not just, hey, I'll save you 50 bucks. I'll, I'll see if I can find a cheaper carrier. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's... Well, I think that's the point, Joe, is like most our target market isn't necessarily the Procter & Gamble's of the world because they've spent so much money and resources on building their own stuff or you know, technology and people or whatever. A lot of times it's the companies that don't have technology because they don't have a budget or they don't have access to data, or they don't have resources in certain areas. And even though they're spending money on transportation logistics, they don't know it. They're spending it on customer service or other back office functions or whatever. And it's stuff that we're really, really good at. So what we try to do is we try to maybe not replace, but augment those shippers like inside teams, but we have to do it at a different level, right? The, the, the C-suite or the VP suite that's really trying to solve holistic problems versus, hey, you know, I need a truck move from here to here. We really focus upstream at the senior level. And that's where, unfortunately, a lot of brokers are not working with from a relationship perspective. They're working with their downstream. So technology is, to your point about enablement, like I have, a, I have people that, to your point, are data scientists. I have people that are technology enablement folks that actually literally go in and say, if you adopt this technology, this function, like I know we've already done the deal, but if you adopt this, then you don't have to do those five phone calls every day. And they're like, wow, but those aren't brokers, right? Those are tech enablement. I always go back to the lineage example, lineage logistics, largest cold storage in the world, I think still besides Americold and Americold. I've interviewed them and and they... They are fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so Sidarson is amazing, their CTO. And he when we first started a relationship with them, not if you're you a, inter- one of the inter- former companies. Did, yeah. yeah. What what they had like 120% turnover in their warehouses. And so what they had to solve is because when you went in at lunchtime and like or you left for lunch, you never came back because you didn't want to work in a minus twenty degree cold storage all day long. You didn't realize how bad it was, how tough it was going to be. And so what they said is, how much can I automate? And so the people that started working there were engineers. They had different roles. They were not they were process engineers. They were tech engineers. They were whatever. And those jobs were just different, to your point. They weren't necessarily people that were loading trucks because now the robot's doing it. But they had to add other people that had more high-value roles. Yep. Yep. And by the way, um, and I'm sure you already know this, but I'll, I'll tell for anyone who didn't listen to the podcast – what was interesting when I interviewed Lineage, I interviewed them with Turvo. And so if, if you paid attention, Lineage is was cold chain worldwide, not just not just here in the United States. So I think they're 
their headquarters about 20 minutes from me in Novi, Michigan. But they, as they were making these acquisitions, everyone had their own systems. And what they, what they really liked about using Turbo is Turbo was, a, I'm going to screw this up, Jeff, so maybe you can fix me, but basically overlay these systems. So you don't have to say, hey, tomorrow you have to start using the Turbo system. They were able to basically map their existing system to Turbo. So basically, I think they had like 17 acquisitions and they were able to say, our information is flowing through through Turbo because we were able to connect and connect and connect. And, you know, I've worked a lot of places where you go, oh, yeah, that plant's not connected. They're not connected to us. They're in their own system. They're in the old system. You know, when, and that is almost the story of technology is not being in the same system, a different silo. Yeah, for sure. And that's foundational, I mean, to the whole company. Like, you got to solve that first. Yep. So we talked a little bit about the, your your strategy again is to roll up a whole bunch of these freight brokers and make them meet them where they're at with the technology and where tech can be used. You're going to use it where relationships need to stay. You'll keep keep the headcount, but the headcount might just be moving around to becoming from the guy who tracks calls to I'm going to be uh, looking at the data and helping do some analysis. And then you've talked a little bit about this go-to-market strategy, and you talked to me before we hit record about adding more value than the traditional freight brokers add. What do you mean by that? So traditional freight brokers are people that call shippers and call carriers to match up, you know, a shipper and a carrier to move that shipment, and they typically bill, you know, bill a customer minus what they pay a carrier is what they make, right? The spread. And the spread is to your point about what stock market used to be. What we're doing that's different, we're, we still have that business and we're going to continue to add value using technology to, to drive value in that business. But what I don't think has been done very well in the logistics community outside of the big guys like the riders and trans places of the world going to the big shippers saying, we want to manage your entire logistics arm. So we, we have other, what I call SKUs. Other SKUs are, are ways that we might operate on behalf of the customer. Could be visibility as a service, right? Or other supply chain as a service concepts where it's not just how we operate with them and the data we provide, but it's also how we monetize that service differently than just that spread. And it's giving the customer the option to solve that problem without force being forced to use our brokerage art. And, and I think that's, for us, that's adding a ton of value beyond just buying and selling of trucks faster, cheaper, better. Like there's right. a lot of tech enabled logistics companies, but like it's one of the reasons why Uber bought TransPlace so they could have the ability to do, you know, three, we'll call it three PL and managed service because early on in their life and Uber's life, because I know the, the guys who founded Uber Freight really well, they were asked by shippers, can you do managed services? And they're like, no, that's not our business. But right. customers want it. They want it because they, they don't. They might not have the budget for other stuff, so they want companies to own and manage that on their behalf. So now, in the managed service side, is that sometimes where you, I might say, "Hey, Jeff, I've got, I got a thousand shipments a week. I want to know exactly what you paid for the truck, and you just charge me a management fee." Yeah, or or we manage your network on your behalf. But the, it has to be enabled by technology, Joe. It can't. Like we have to digitize the entire network to do it. And that's what's going to create the data to help all of us manage and partner and collaborate together. And it's not just one way. It's not some portal that I go to to say, I can pull some reports. 
it's like we're wiring up your entire business for you so that as you scale, you can monetize the business. Actually, two of our managed service customers are white label customers where they're using us as a service to monetize supply chain, their supply chains as a service, which is a really cool model for us. So explain how that with. works. So a lot of these shippers have their own networks, right? So their own networks might be warehouses. They might not be full or they've got pre-bought capacity for certain lanes or they've got, you know, but they might not have the technology. So we come in and we execute, we implement the technology. We become their logistics arm. We might wear shirts that say their logo on them and answer the phone as them. And we are both basically making money on their network so they can add more volume in their network and scale without having to, to hire the people and the, buy the resources and budget for it. And we, su we support that growth. Right. So that kind of brings us to the one point I want to talk to you about, which was this business model evolution. And I think I just touched on it, which is the, and I think you touched on it, which is this managed service. But what do you mean by business model evolution? Yeah. So you and I talked before about digitization is basically taking something that was once manual and, and bringing that to life or automating it using technology, new technology. Yep. It could be like tracking, where's my stuff, right? Digitalization is how do I leverage that technology to monetize differently, monetize more, monetize, you know, maybe make a different business model. So like, for example, like what um, the subscription service concept, right? That all these, like I, I was talking to my wife the other day, like, I love hats. Is there a hat subscription service where I can just get a hat every month and pay for it? So our industry really hasn't done that, um, hasn't evolved to the Charles Schwab notion of $8 trades or any of that. And I think the next big innovation in our industry, I, I know Emerge was doing this with their technology and implementing, and, and, and they've done some really good stuff around business model innovation. But I think our industry needs to see more. And, and that's one of the key sort of points of what we're trying to do. Yeah, it's interesting. So um, I was talking to Michael Leto from Emerge, one of the founders, Andrew's brother. And um, he was talking about, and, and not being critical of it, just kind of pointing it out. And this is the, the, this is the lack of alignment with kind of the, the what I'll call the, the current model, the traditional model. When you were at Global Trans and that Global Trans is still a top freight broker. He said, when you would make $1,000 on a load, they would go bang a gong. So they broke, the broker goes and does the victory dance and bangs the gong, made 1000 bucks on this, right? Imagine walking a shipper through that at the same time. And they go, hey, Jeff, what's going on over here? Oh, yeah, that's just uh, one of our brokers making 1000 bucks on a, a load. And th that's that's what, what got us here. And again, that's still... People still agreed to pay for that. So it's not as if this is horribly wrong. But now that Emerge is in a model where they say, hey, this is free to shippers. Bring your carriers over. We have a technology platform. And if we do bring a carrier into the mix and you use them, we're going to mark it up 10%. And that's still going to be lower than what you're cur currently paying. Exactly. Or you wouldn't accept it. I love it. I love the model. Yeah. And I think to myself, yeah, that's aligned alignment. And again, the old stockbroker wasn't aligned. My success didn't mean anything to him. He wanted transactions, transactions, transactions. That's the only way he got paid. And now we've got out of that. And I think the same thing is to your point, our business models are going to evolve and say, Jeff, help me be successful and I'll, I'll pay you. 
I'll pay you. If, I, I, I want you to, I want all my partners to make money, but help me lower my costs, help me improve my service so I can be world-class. Yeah. We have one that we're going to do a gain share model, like with savings and monetization, like we're going to, we're, we're going to make the gain share. And actually I'll probably make more money that way than I will traditional brokerage, which is great, but it's also, I don't know if everyone knows what that is. So could you explain what gain share is? So let's say gain share, let's say we save them a half a million dollars. It could be on transportation. It could be on people. It could be on Automation. It could be so you whatever. start with a baseline. They spend ten yeah, million dollars. Yeah, they maybe spend ten million in their network, and we we save them a half a million. Then I'll take two fifty, and they take the two fifty of the savings. And so that might be a gain share. Another gain share is maybe they make ten million dollars. Complete alignment on, in that too. Complete alignment, and maybe we make ten million dollars on the growth of their revenue business through supply chain. We might split that. I might get five, and they might get five. So. Gain share is, is full alignment on the business and the goals and the strategy and all that kind of stuff. It, it, it puts some, you know, skin in the game for both parties, but the, the benefits are, are amazing for both as well. Yeah. Well, I think th- it, everything's evolving this way. We, uh, we, for a long time, we use transparency and visibility kind of interchangeably. And I think now we all know, I think when we say visibility, what we mean is visibility of where my stuff's at, right? And now I think transparency is a term we we heard it a lot more a few years ago, but I think it's going to be a consistent theme in the business, which is, Jeff, I don't care if you make good money, but I kind of need to know what you're making. By the way, if I'm if I'm spending a hundred million dollars a year on trucks, and uh, you're my freight broker, and you say I need to know is twenty million going to freight brokerage and eighty million to trucks, or is four million go? I, I need to know because I have a boss who's going to say, Joe, where's that money going? And I go, well, I don't know. It goes to this black hole and uh, it's $100 million. I need to know. And and it's if it's funny. $20 million this year, I hope there's going to be 18 next year because the costs are going down, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, this reminds me of a conversation I had with the head of logistics for General Cable a long time ago. It was the same thing. They outsourced to one of the biggest 3PLs in the world and – you know, they went to the 10K and said, I don't know if you're making 20% on me. And like, are you really worth that much money? I could build a hell of a team for X millions of dollars, right? For the amount of spend we have. So it's, it's, a, it's a question we should all answer every day, like as, as logistics providers. When I was still selling 3PL services, I had a customer. And by the way, it was the company was owned by uh, my former employer and a good friend. And we're moving their freight. And I constantly got like negative feedback, like, oh my God, I can't believe how much you're charging us. And my team was constantly complaining, saying these should have gone LTL, but they went truckload. This one went expedited, it should have gone LTL. I mean, they, they were shooting themselves in the foot and we kept advising them. So finally they were complaining and I kept thinking, this is crazy. But fortunately they're in the Detroit metro area. I took all my all my invoices for like the last month and I took all my my the invoices from my my carriers and I brought them over and I, and I said, let's sit down. I'll show you what I made on all these. And he's like, oh, you made 800 bucks here. I was like, keep going. And we lost money on some of those loads because it was just so ridiculous on what we were doing. And he's like, well, what's the point of this? I was like, here's what, the, here's what we could have charged you if we did it right. If you would give us some notice, if we'd stop, stop doing... 30% expedite. Sure, <laughs> right? sure. Yeah. 
you usually don't have that opportunity though. Usually it's uh, somebody far away. But anyway, I don't think I can summarize this. So what I'm going to say, Jeff, is why don't you tell me what's next for you, what's next for Fura, and then what's next for the industry. That'll be a good wrap up to this. Yeah. So Fura, we're doing some really cool stuff. Like I said, there's uh, we've acquired a couple of companies today, today, and we're in the middle of a couple of big sort of acquisitions right now. So I, I'm hoping by you know the end of this year or first part of next year that we've got some great big news that's coming. I think number two is we're always we're looking for talent, people that we can add value with across our ecosystem from a tech first sort of perspective, and from a future of of the business. You know, one of my biggest things is I, I didn't want to join any place unless I can make a big impact to the industry. And I think Fura is going to do that from all the things that we talked about, whether it's the, the technology that we're building and implementing, it's the different business models that we're, we're sort of providing to customers, and it's the value that we're, that we're creating and taking traditional companies and making them into digital ones, to me, is, is where the, the industry needs to go. And because a lot of those companies are never going to have the opportunity, we're going to help them. We're going to help them do that. Excellent. Excellent. So, Jeff, what I'm going to do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, a link to Fura, and any other marketing links you have. I'll give you, if you give them to me, we'll put them in the show notes. And Awesome. So what conferences will we see you fellas at? TIA and Freight Waves. And you just told me about another one that I think... You got to come to Manifest. I, I will make the introduction. Come to, come to Manifest. All the cool kids are going to be there. That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, Jeff. Well, I really, I always enjoy uh, talking to you. You really have, uh, I think you're way ahead in the industry. I mean, you've proven that. I guess I don't need to tell you that. But you've been on the cutting edge of this for a long time. And I kind of think you're going to continue to be on the cutting edge because it's kind of where you're where you belong. <laughs> and congrats on the new deal. Thanks. Thank you so much, Jeff, for being on my podcast. And uh, we'll hopefully do it again. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.